Hello, 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 and welcome back to Bible Days E23 with your host, Daughter of Z. There are so many things going on right now, but I need you to know that the Most High is in control of all of it. And I don't mean that as a cliche, but as a reality. A lot of people say God is in control because they really have no idea what's really going on. And that's the response that they've been programmed to give. We've just been hoping and praying and nothing else. Now, everything that is happening is going according to his plan, even murders, accidents, riots, and the like. Amos 3 and 6. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in the city and the Lord has not done it? Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. So he's in control of everything, no matter what it looks like. He sanctioned it if it happened. So we have to be careful in our prayers. We have to make sure that we're praying within his will and not against his will. Because of all the bad things that we see happening now, we have been trained to think that it is quote unquote, the devil going crazy, the world coming to an end. Yes, the world is coming to an end. But we, so we, you know, we begin to pray for peace. And if we pay for, pray for peace, we are praying against what prophecy says is going to happen. These things have to come to pass. Now, am I saying that you don't pray that things are peaceable in your home? That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about worldwide. On a world scale, there is not going to be peace no matter how much you pray about it or for it. As you hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that ye not be troubled. Now, this is Matthew 24 and 6. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. As I said before, does that mean not to pray for your leader so that you can live a quiet and peaceful life? No. No, it doesn't mean that. It means just what it says. You follow his order to pray for the people in charge so that you can live a quiet and peaceful life. That doesn't mean the world is going to be quiet and peaceful. This is what he promised to you, his children. Now, this nation is under judgment. Keep in remembrance that judgment has to come to Egypt before they will let his people go. At first, the plagues touched everyone. Then the Most High began to make a difference. Remember Goshen? Now we are all on our journey to, to the truth. And before we can really get into some of the deep, dark things we have to build this foundation with, we're almost done with our foundation. Just a little bit more, by the way. We need a working understanding of the system. You don't have to be a genius, but you do need to understand what's happening, why it is happening, and what's going to happen, to whom and when will it come to an end, or is there any end in sight? These and many other questions will be answered as we continue on our journey for the truth. Keep in mind, we're just going to follow the truth. You might not like where it takes you sometimes. This is understandable because we have been lied to our whole lives. Even the oppressors have been lied to. Jeremiah 16, 19. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, 
Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Now, has that happened yet? No, that has not happened yet. So that means that prophecy has not been fulfilled, but it is going to be fulfilled. And I know you've heard that scripture given in church plenty of times, but there was really no context. It was just a scripture that sounded like it fit at that particular time for that particular sermon. But this is talking about something that is to come, that is going to happen. This is going to happen physically. This is not going to be a spiritual thing. It is telling you that the Gentiles are going to admit to you that they have received lies from their father and their father had been lied to as well. But lied to you about what though? That's what this journey is for. Now the responsibility lies upon ourselves to uncover these mysteries. And with that, let's dive in. And by today, by by the way, today's title is On the Good Foot. We're going to talk about uh the athletic shoe industry. Um, okay. It's our topic tonight is going to be the casual fashion world. Now, once again, this is the world that did not exist before we created it. We do not own it, but somehow we always seem to be the greatest influence. The fashion world takes a lot of its cues from the inner city, the hood, if you will. This particular fashion trend really took off in the eighties, hand in hand with hip hop which is a worldwide phenomenon. It has become a culture. These companies basically followed the trend that was created by the black community and capitalized off of it. Sweatsuits, hoodies, t-shirts, jeans, and gym shoes are now vogue. This is not the first time that this has happened. During the 1870s, women wore corsets and they put pillows in the back of their skirts to appear like they had larger hindquarters. It was named the Victorian bustle dress. This was done to mimic the hot and tot Venus, Sarah Bartman. We will dive into her more when we deal with negative or disrespectful images that were slash are placed before our communities, which is by definition a form of psychological operation slash warfare. Champion. It started off as the Knickerbocker Knitting Company in 1919 by the Fine Bloom Brothers. By the 1930s, it was called Champion Knitting Mills Incorporated. Around the same time, they had an agreement with the Michigan Wolverines to make their uniforms. They also made workout gear for the U.S. Military Academy. They were bought by Sarah Lee in 1989, and they were also responsible for the NBA logos in the 90s, the NFL logo in the 70s through the 90s as well. Also during that time, they had contracts with colleges. They made uniforms for the 1992 Olympic baseball team for the United States. Champion is also responsible for what we know today as the hoodie. Today, Champion is owned by Hanes Brands, as in Hanes Underwear. That is, you know, Michael Jordan is one of their spokes uh, people as well. Uh, the large C is the trademark for Champion. They put it on the left sleeve of their shirts, sweatshirts, and hoodies. The big C is actually the precursor for today's mascots and logos on team uniforms. The company's logo is C is for the love of your sport. Whatever you choose, embrace your inner champion. Moving on to Reebok. Now, this company began with J.W. Fosters and Sons of England in 1895. They started with making some of the first spiked running shoes. In 1958, the grandsons of J.W. formed Reebok. 
Reebok is Afrikaans for a gray Reebok, which is an antelope that lives in the African continent. In 1979, Paul Fireman saw them at Chicago's International Sneaker Trade Show, and he formed Reebok USA Limited. In 1982, Reebok released the Reebok Freestyle, which was the first athletic shoe designed for women. In 1986, they took away the obvious flag that was on the tongue of the shoe and made it a stylized version on the side of the shoe. This is another lesson in hiding the obvious in plain sight. Making things stylized is another way of communicating in codes. So technically, the flag was never removed from the shoe, just placed in a different spot. Reebok has had contracts with Shaquille O'Neal for the Reebok pump. They used Venus Williams at one time. Allen Iverson got into the game in 1996. His shoes are the second longest running basketball shoes in history. Some of our listeners are too young to know that his shoes actually competed with Jordans and are still holding their own today. In the year 2000, they were granted a 10-year contract with the NFL for all teams on court and off-court sportswear. In 2003, they collaborated with Jay-Z with the S. Carter Collection. It was the fastest selling shoe in their history in their history. And later came 50 Cent, Nelly, Ariana Grande, Cardi B, and others. In 2005, they were brought out by Adidas. They became the official supplier to the NBA in 2006 and the WNBA for 11 years. In 2010, they partnered with CrossFit. Now, if you can recall, the owner of CrossFit, or the founder, if you want to call it, whatever you want to call him, Greg Glassman, he got in a scandal sometimes uh, years back. A while ago, Reebok introduced a new logo, which is a triangle, which in the Greek is a delta sign. The three sides represented physical, mental, and social change that comes from a fitness lifestyle. Now, if you know anything about the esoteric, you know that's not what it means. They used it for three years. Then they went back to the Union Jack flag because the quote-unquote public still recognized the old logo. They still use it on certain designs, though. We're going to get into that triangle and what it stands for in different meanings and the symbolism for it at a later date. Now, the flag means a lot. All flags represent something. Flags are signs and symbols to be understood by others that don't speak the same language. When you look at the flag, you see a blue background. On that background, you see a white cross, which means something. And on top of that white cross, you see a red cross, which represents something. So flags just are not chosen because they're pretty or they like a particular design. They convey their love, adoration, and loyalty to Great Britain right on the shoe. The same way that you were, you know, you you rep for your gang or your team or whatever is represented. And when you think of those, those terms, in actuality, uh, it's really an adoration and a worship of the Queen Mother of England. Up next, Under Armour. Under Armour was started in 1996 by Kevin Plank and his grandmother's basement. He has the idea, he had the idea to make athletic undershirts because his shirts were so sweaty after practice. But he noticed that his compression shorts were still dry. So he made shorts out of the dry wicking material and he gave it to friends that made it to the NFL. His big breaks came from advertisement in Sports Illustrated and favorable reviews from professional players. His brother called it Under Armour by mistake, but they liked the name so they kept it. It is also in reference to the fact that 
that it is what you wear under your armor when headed into battle, as in fierce comp competitive sports. The company's slogan is, the only way is through. Today, the company makes shoes, uniforms, and helmets. Just about anything that you could think of that is needed for a team warfare can be purchased for Under Armour. Nike. This sportswear giant started off in 1964 as Blue Ribbon Sports, founded by Bill Bowerman and Phil Knight. Bill Bowerman was a track and field coach who trained 31 Olympians, 57 All-Americans, and held 22 NCAA championships. His father was Jay Bowerman, the governor of Oregon at one time, who got caught up in a sex scandal with his secretary sometime during 1910 and 1911. Philip Hampson Knight was a billionaire businessman to seal the deal with a handshake. He handled the business side of, of things, and Bowerman took care of the designs of the products. They formed 90, Nike excuse me, in 1971. According to Forbes, Knight is number 26 on the richest list at $39.2 billion. He also owns the company named Leica, a stop-motion film company. The company responsible for such movies as Coraline, Paranorman, and The Box Trolls. His son, Travis Knight, happens to be one of the lead animators at this company. Travis also directed the movie Bumblebee, if you are a Transformer uh, fan. Philip's father, William W. Knight was a publisher, lawyer, and politician. He was the president of the Oregon Newspaper Publishers Association. The Uni University of Oregon, Oregon sorry, has a law school named after him that was dedicated by Sandra Day O'Connor. Bowerman, meanwhile, uses his wife's waffle iron to experiment with shoe grips. Working with these toxic chemicals eventually crippled him. It rendered him unable to enjoy what he actually created. He passed on December 24th, 1999. Nike has a stellar line of products, including Air Force Ones, Air Jordan, Air Max, and Nike Pro, just to name a few. They also own Converse. Nike is actually the Greek wing goddess of victory slash conquering. In Rome, she is known as Victoria, hence victory. Also in reference to the slogan of focus on victory, is just do it. Her partner in crime is named Nemesis. Nemesis means long-standing enemy or arch rival. The swoosh on the side of Nike's is actually a stylized wing to mimic the wings of the goddess. On to Converse. Founded by Marquise Mills Converse in 1908. Before the 1970s, it was the number one athletic shoe. It was part of 1970s culture. We call the most popular style of Converse Chucks. That's short for Chuck Taylor All-Stars. They are also called Cons and also All-Stars, depending on what area of the country that you live in. Now, a basketball player slash shoe salesman by the name of Chuck Taylor asked for a more flexible, soft shoe to play basketball in. The shoes used at that time caused blisters, so they came up with an idea of using canvas. Chucks are worn by the old and young alike. Snoop Dogg can be found in a pair almost all the time. They were always part of the inner city's wardrobe, but it really took off again when gangster rap started to flourish. They were made popular all over the country from gangster rap videos. Do you see how we keep these companies in business by just being who we are? We keep them afloat. 
I don't know one sneakerhead who doesn't have a pair of Chucks, myself included. They are a staple in your closet the same way a pair of Air Force Ones would be. In 2003, Converse was bought out by Nike. They used their own technology to put new insoles in Converse Chucks. Converse made and supplied the shoes for the first African-American basketball team called the New York Renaissance. They were called the Rens for short. We're going to talk about teams like that when we go over unsung heroes in the sports world uh, at a later date. But at one time, we were barred from the sports world, and now you don't have a team unless we're on it. Will Chamberlain was wearing a pair of the Converse Chucks when he scored 100 points versus the New York Knicks. They were the official shoe for the United States Basketball Olympic team for 1936 through 1968. The Converse logo is in black and white print. The black supposedly represents integrity, elegance, and perfection. The white represents charm and purity. Now, do you notice how in advertising black represents integrity, elegance, and perfection, but in people it represents something else? That's just something to think about. Now, the star is supposedly a symbol of quality and excellence. The star is now inside of the, the O just like an I. Now, remember the dog star? The five-pointed star or the pentagram represents one of the most powerful symbols used by the realms of darkness. It also represents Baphomet, the half-goat, half-human hermaphrodite beast. A hermaphrodite is a being that contains both male and female genitalia. This also goes for androgynous looking beings, which is popular in the fashion industry in print and on runways. Also, the ritual colors, they represent something else. Black and white represents duality. It represents good and bad, up and down, good and evil. This is why you see a lot of celebrities during charities. It's not because they are good people on the inside and they just have a heart. That's not it at all. I'm not saying that every single celebrity doesn't have a heart for the charity that, that they do. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it is a requirement to be a part of the system that you give back to balance the evil that you do. Also, these symbols are stylized. They are conveying what the artist believes or feel. Whether the public gets it or not is a non-factor. Symbols mean what they mean. A logo is a statement of belief in the product along with the things important or special to that creator. Remember Versace? His love for things Greek, he felt so deeply about this that he incorporated it into his designs. This may not seem clear right now, but when we start delving into the Freemasons, then you'll get a better understanding of what I'm talking about. Now, do you notice how these companies always try to get national contracts whether it be the army, whether it be in the industry, they want to be the only supplier to the whole United States. They want to get a monopoly on everything. There's a bidding war every time a contract ends. What do you think happened in 1967 or in 68 when it was time to sign another contract with a shoe company? It was mudslinging and backbiting and everything else. Moving on to Puma and Adidas. Now you might say, why are you doing Puma and Adidas together? Well, because these guys grew up in the same house together. They are blood brothers. Rudolph Rudy Dazzler and Adolf Adi Dazzler started off in 1924, eventually becoming the shoe company Gita. Their father worked at a shoe company, uh, a shoe factory, excuse me, so that's where they picked up their skills. Their main area of focus were track spikes. 
These were the shoes that were worn by sprinters to get a better grip on the track. So they decided to show up at the 1936 Olympics with a trunk full of spikes. They were going to request to athletes to wear them for advertising and for research purposes. One of the athletes that they convinced to wear their shoes was named Jesse Owens. Yes, the Jesse Owens. He went on to win a goal in the 100, 200, long jump, and the sprint relays. By 1948, the Dazzler brothers had split. It was said that their wives could not stand each other. One focused on customers, the other focused on product. Rudolph, having come back from the war, thought that his brother had something to do with him going, having to go to the war in the first place. And not to mention, he was in prison during the war. So he was hot as fish grease when he got back. Now, when they split, oh, it split the whole town. People wouldn't go to the same businesses. They wouldn't visit the same bars. They wouldn't visit each other. Oh, it was real serious rivalry over shoes. Kind of reminds you of today. Many marriages and families were torn apart due to alliances. Women and men have divorced their spouses over what happened in voting booths this past November. Adidas was the brainchild of Adolf Adidasler for the first three letters of his first and the first three letters of his last name. Rudolf Dazzler was named Ruda. His shoes were named Rudolph at first, but he changed it to Puma. The logo originally shows a Puma jumping through the letter D. The D stood for Dazzler. The stripe on the side of the shoe introduced in 1957 was put there for functional purposes, but it became part of the design as time went on. By 1979, the logo was refined and is basically the same design that we have today. Dazzler felt the Puma showed some form of royalty. Puma has had collaborations with Rihanna and Nipsey Hussle. Um, Pelé, who was believed to be the greatest soccer player of all time, was one of their early endorsements. He, along with Bruce Jenner, were basically the ones who got sports branding started. They both appeared on Wheaties boxes. Adidas is not so straightforward. They have one design that looks like a leaf, but it's actually a trefoil. The three leaves stand for North America, Europe, and Asia, the places that these products are available. The three-stripe logo that looks like a mountain represents that you can overcome challenges. As with Puma, the stripes were uh, part of the shoe at first, but it helped with functionality. Adidas uses the small letters to represent that Adidas is available and accessible to everyone. Adidas has a total of four different logos. We discussed the tree for what looks like a leaf. We discussed the mountain and we discussed the original three stripes. Adidas also has a circle with three stripes logo that is reserved for collaboration with designers. Muhammad Ali was using excuse me, endorsements by Adidas in the late 60s, early 70s. If you pay attention, you'll notice that a lot of his boxer shorts and shoes were Adidas. Today, they have contracts with non-athletes such as Beyonce and makeup mogul Kylie Jenner. Today, both of these brands are considered staples in casual wear. There are a lot of people that are in show business and industries that you would never know are related. And this is by design. As we get closer to the truth, you will begin to understand why. Names are changed often to protect the guilty. Adidas did $6.97 billion. Puma netted $5.5. Deuteronomy 28.43 The stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee very high, and thou shalt come down very low. 
Stranger in the Bible means people who were outside of the dominant social and religious norms. People who practice other religions, who came from different nations, or who, because they were different in other ways, were often despised. Within means all the different strangers who are now occupying the same place or land that you are. The up above very high that's in reference to that they come to the same place that you have been here struggling all that time. They get the loans, they get the jobs, they get the position in society that you can never attain. They go to the top of society and go on to become the upper crust. The come down very low is in reference to that. They go up the ladder and we are still going down the ladder. We become less and less in society as more people become over us. These people even come from different lands and pick up on the same names and disrespect that is given to us by the people that are already here. No matter where you go on earth, they know to call you the N-word. Now, how is that? They believe the stories and the lies that have been told about us. There's a scripture for that. Let me just give it to you and I'll go into that on another podcast, but I have to give you this scripture. Deuteronomy 28, 37. And thou shalt become an astonishment a proverb, and a byword among all nations whither the Lord shall lead thee. Astonishment is amazement, mental surprise, excitement, wonder, often the cause of startled emotion. A proverb is a short saying that is used to express an obvious truth, as in CP time. What other group of people do you know that have proverbs about them that is repeated by the whole world? Nobody else. A byword, it condenses ideas that resonate with many people into short, memorable phrases. A frequently used word or phrase, as in porch monkey, moon cricket. And let's not forget, if you want to hide something for, from a black person, put it in a book. What other group of people experience this? experiences this? No other group. We know that, yeah, there are sayings about every nation of people, but the rest of the world doesn't actually believe it per se. There is hate and contempt for us as a people. And if you cannot see that, I don't know what to say. This is not hate. This is truth. That This is what we're on the journey for. It's going to make you uncomfortable. It's not going to be what you thought it was because of what you were programmed to think and believe. In the basic English Bible, the verse says, and I quote, the man from a strange land who is living among you will be lifted up higher and higher over you where you go down lower and lower. It's, you can't argue with it. Just about every other founder of these companies had come from other lands to make a better life for themselves. While a certain group has been here and has built the foundation of capitalism as we know it. This group still goes further and further down the ladder. No matter how much we have contributed to society, we still end up at the bottom. This is why I keep ending these podcasts with one of us at the bottom so that you can see this is scripture coming to pass. I'm not just talking. I'm not just trying to get you to hate a certain group of people. It's not about hate. It's about understanding a reality that we fit descriptions that are in the Bible that are not taught to us. In fact, we're taught just the opposite. This is a stronghold for my people and it must be broken with the word. Look at these things, not just uh, look at them as truth, not with rose colored lenses of a religion's 
construct. Notice I did not say without the Bible. I said without a religious construct. Let's take the word for face value to see where we end up. There's going to be some uncomfortable moments. I know because I've been there. I had to be deprogrammed. It is an unpleasant process, but a necessary one. As I said before, you will experience anger, disgust, contempt, and sadness. But you will also experience a sense of relief and hope. It will all begin to make sense. I'm going to say his name one time, then after that, I'm going to call him Jim. His name was Jan Erst Matt Zelliger. And he was an African-American shoemaker who accomplished what others failed to do. He invented the lasting machine. The lasting is a process of attaching the top of the shoe to the bottom of the shoe. This, by default, makes him the father of the modern shoe industry. He was born in Suriname in South America. His father was a Dutch German. For three generations, his family owned colonial shipworks. They also had a coffee plant, which was how his parents met. His mother was one of the slaves. They had a coffee plantation, excuse me. At 19, he left home and worked as a mechanic on the Dutch East Indies merchant ships. Landing in Philadelphia in 1877, afterwards, he went on to Massachusetts. The amount of skill and time that it took to make a pair of shoes by hand made for sketchy business. The price also kept it out of the reach of the common man. Only the privileged could afford shoes during that time. But with Jan's invention, it took production from 50 pairs of shoes a day up to 700 pairs of shoes a day. This reduced the price of shoes by more than half, therefore making the market wide open. Jim acquired at least six patents in the shoe industry. Now, because he beat the Europeans to the punch, now I'm, going, I'm not going to mince words. I'm going to say exactly what they said. So if you are offended by racial epitaphs or slurs, you might want to turn this off or turn it down or I don't know, because as these podcasts go on, I am not going to mince my words. I'm going to say exactly what it is, because a lot of times when you don't say exactly what it is, it loses a lot of the sting. And you need to have that sting so you can understand, so you can wake up. But anyway, back to him. Because he beat the Europeans to the punch, there was much disrespect and ridicule. They called him and his products names. He was called the Dutch nigger, and his machine was called the niggerhead lasting machine. He did, however, get a little shine by having his own stamp in the Black Heritage Stamp Series. He worked himself to death technically, though. He died of tuberculosis at the age of 36 in 1889. Proverbs 8, 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. We know that wisdom is applied knowledge, to take what you know and make use of it. It also means the ability to discern inner qualities and relationships. Prudence is wisdom applied to practice. It implies causation in deliberating and consulting on the best way to do something. There may be more than one way to do something, but what is the best way to do it? Knowledge is the fact or condition of being aware of something. Witty means wise and having good judgment. Invention means to find out something new, to devise something not before known, to contrive and produce something that did not exist before, as an instrument, machines, and chemicals. 
Jacob in the Bible also stands for witty as well. Most of the time when you hear people give a meaning to his name, they always say that he was a supplanter. He was a trickster. That's the definition that the powers that be want you to grasp first. Jacob was also witty and wise. He was clever and he could figure things out. And since this is Black History Month, I can also say that this was a characteristic that the slaves had. They had to be witty to survive. You know how much wit and slickness that took to talk to Massa so that he wouldn't beat you that day? How we had to tell Massa how they were so beautiful and smart just to pump their heads up so we can plan for an escape? By the way, we were well capable of making tea sounds during slavery. Slave masters were supposed to purposely call Massa. Did you know that Massa was a Hebrew word for oppressor? Ponder on that to the next time. Love you all. Bye-bye. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Bible Days E23 with your host, Daughter of Z. I know it's been a while, and um, I haven't posted anything for almost a, the whole month of February. And at first, I thought maybe... Something's wrong with me. I just don't, I'm just not feeling it. And then as time went on, I began to uh, feel a little ease about it because I got to the point where I was like, you know what? This is so-called Black History Month and it's going to be so many things going on concerning quote-unquote Black History. And the things that I have to say or reveal or point out are not necessarily, let's say, going hand-in-hand with the civil rights type of situation. It's not passive. Um, it is Bible-based, but it's not passive. So I decided, I said, you know what? Let me just let February play itself out. You can hear all the usual Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King stories um, about the march and we shall overcome. You can hear all that. And then we're going to get to the real black history. And that's what we're doing right now. So I suggest you get your Bibles, your notebooks, things like that from now on this is basically going to wrap up the first cycle but after this we're going to get in the bible and we're going to we're going to basically go from scratch because there's so many things in it that we don't understand that we don't know that when it's brought out it's like is that in there yes it's in there we are worshiping a different jesus than what is in the bible we must believe on him as the scriptures have said and with that, I'm going to get started with um, my latest episode, which is called Take Two and Call Me in the Morning. Okay, so today's subject is going to be an emotional roller coaster. You're going to hear some things that are going to make you upset, but nonetheless, these are things that you need to hear. And I have to communicate these things in a way that you understand that the cruelties that were slash are perpetrated towards us as a people were slash are not accidents. They are not mistakes. They are carefully thought out planned schemes. We're going to take a look at the pharmaceutical industry. There was a time where the only medication that you saw on television was Excedrin, Bear, or Children's Tylenol for a cold. But today, every other commercial is about some sort of medication that has a list of adverse effects as long as your arm. That is not the way the Most High intended, and that is not how the medical industry started either. They started out trying to do the right thing. Ezekiel forty-seven twelve, 
and by the river upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months, because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for me, and the leaf thereof for medicine." The, the medical industry started off by using natural remedies, but true to capitalism, somebody had to control it and somebody had to make more money and more money and more money. So in comes Rockefeller to change the industry from using natural remedies to fabricated ones. He funded colleges who followed this particular agenda. So you know they jumped through hoops for that money. So when studies began to show that these chemically engineered meds cause cancer, he formed the Cancer Society to cover up the scandal. Now, off topic. Now, remember Watch Your Mouth episode? We talked about Mount Etna. It just erupted not too long ago. Okay, now let's get back on topic. Psalms 83, 4 through 5. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. Now let's break this down because this is telling us a lot here. They, they equals the enemies of the Most High. Come, that means to invite or to motion to joint action. To cut people off, that means exclusion from their people. It means premature death or deprived of the afterlife. Now a nation depending on the context, can mean Gentiles, which, mean, which can mean outside of Israel or Hellenistic, which means they have conformed to the lifestyle of the people that the Israelites were scattered among. Like, for example, we are westernized, so we will be called American. And that also refers to a bloodline of people. No more in remembrance represents to erase from history, to purposely and skillfully hide and twist history so that the truth seems outlandish or impossible to believe. Consulted together. That means they deliberated in common. They made an agreement to do this intentionally. One consent that takes us back to the agreement and the one mind. Confederate. That means united in a league, allied by a treaty. And remember, this is a perpetual hate. It is never going to stop. Now, by definition, sometimes it's going to be in your face and sometimes it's going to be an undercurrent, but it's always going to be there. You can, you can rest assured for that. And it was placed there by the Most High. Ezekiel 35 and 5. Because thou hast had a perpetual hatred and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity. In the time that their iniquity had an end. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will prepare thee unto blood, and blood shall pursue thee. Since thou hast not hated blood, even blood shall pursue thee. So he meant that. We also have um, scripture number 9, and then we also have 11 and 12. This is in the same chapter. I will make thee perpetual the desolations, and thy cities shall not return, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord, I will even do according to thine anger, and according to thine envy, which thou hast used out of the hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them, when I have judged thee, 
And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, and that I have heard all that blasphemies which thou hast spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying, They are laid desolate, they are giving to us to consume. Genesis three fifteen, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So as you can see, this has been going on since the garden. And with that, we're going to dive in with Bristol's Myers Squibb. Edward Robinson Squibb founded his company in 1858 in Brooklyn, New York. He was a major supplier of morphine during the Civil War. Now, we talked about morphine in reference to the god Morpheus in Watch Your Mouth. Morphine is a product in the opiate family derived from the opium poppy plant. Now, remember the Oliver North and the Iran-Contra scandal? He eventually became the president of the National Rifle Association. Now, don't forget the Opium Wars, which involved Afghanistan in the mid-80s as well. Now, we're going to get into that a little bit later when we discuss the fabricated war on drugs. In 1944, during World War II, he operated the largest penicillin plant in the United States. In 1887, William McLaren Bristol and John Ripley Myers brought the Clinton Pharmaceutical Company in New York. After graduating from Hamilton College, and Hamilton College, by the way, is the third oldest college in New York. Only Columbia and Union are older. In 1943, they brought Chaplin Bio Lab, who made acidophilus milk which produces good bacteria. It aids in digestion and balances the feminine intimates. Now, in 1945, they encountered, I'm sorry, they entered the antibiotic game, which puts them in direct operation of squib. In 1989, Bristol, Meyer, and Squib emerged. They basically had a monopoly on cancer treatments, which brought about lawsuits in 2002 and 2009. They had to pay $125 million for antitrust. They were also busted for cooking the books. They shipped more than what they could, what could be sold to inflate their numbers. The same practice is implemented in the mu music industry. It is known as trade loading. They pulled in $16.27 billion for 2019. Pfizer is up next. With German born, excuse me, Charles Pfizer and his cousin Charles F. Ehert started Pfizer in 1849. They were the creators of citric acid in the 1880s. They developed and produced vaccines. Oh, and also medication for oncology, immunology, endocrine, neurology, and cardiology. They are the creators of Viagra and Prevnar 13. Now, because of the work of penicillin was being produced at numerous factories, making it cheap, which meant Pfizer and his cousin were looking for a better way to make money. In 1950, they created oxytetracycline. This changed them from being the makers of chemicals to becoming research-based drug pushers. The first billion-dollar seller was paroxicam, an anti-inflammatory medication. During the 1980s and through the 90s, they produced Zoloft, Lipitor, Viagra, among others. They merged with Warner Lambert in 2000, Pharmakia in 2003, and Wyeth for $68 billion 
in cash, shares, and loans in 2009. They borrowed $225.5 billion from the top five banks on Wall Street. These banks were J.P. Morgan, Chase, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and Morgan Stanley. The same old gang. Now, this deal caused lots of friction because shareholders were pretty much cut out of the game. Only the AT&T and Bell South $70 billion deal was larger than this one. In September of 2009, they paid $2.3 billion in health care fraud. They pled guilty to the FDA for illegal marketing of Bextra and arthritic medication. Warner Lambert had other acquisitions as well. Greenstone was their acquisition for generics that they got in 1993. Now, one of their researchers named William R. Warner invented the tablet coding process. He was inducted into the Smithsonian Institution for his efforts. We're going to get into the Smithsonian Institute at a later date. The Smithsonian has invaluable artifacts that they keep hidden from the public. Only about 20% of the items that they possess today are on display. They have numerous skeletal remains, artwork, documents, and too many other historical items to name. They are part of the conspiracy slash confederacy as well. Did you know that 95% of Africa's artifacts are on display in European museums? These European countries have even made laws to make it impossible for these countries to get their artifacts back. They claim that these countries are not able to take care of their own artifacts and they wouldn't have a proper way to display or store them. So basically, they're doing us a favor by keeping them and putting them on display. We'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about iconoclasm. Back to the drugstore. Park Davis was founded in Detroit in 1866 and was brought out by Warner Lambert in 1976. They scooped up Wilkinson Sword Razors in 1993 and Argeron Farm in 1999. Upjohn, which was founded in 1886 in Kalamazoo, Michigan by Dr. William E. Upjohn in 2000, along with Monsanto, which we definitely will talk about at a later date because Monsanto is involved with a lot of skullduggery. If I'm not mistaken, they have some involvement with the reduction of the honeybee population because of the pesticides that they use. But more on them at a later date. Now, in 2008, they slashed 275 jobs at the Kalamazoo plant, which had formerly been the headquarters of Upjohn for the world. In 2010, they brought King Pharmaceuticals for $3.6 billion in cash. In 2015... They brought the now-defunct Redvax. They brought two meningitis medications from GlaxoSmithKline for $130 million. In 2016, Anacor was purchased for $5.2 billion. They also acquired antibiotic molecules from AstraZeneca for $1.575 billion. In 2019, the now non-existent Theracon for $810 million for treatment of the rare disease achondroplasia, a type of dwarf, excuse me, dwarfism, and Airay Biopharmer for $10.6 million. All the while also dabbling in pet meds by owning Zoetis in 2013, excuse me, the world's largest livestock slash pet vaccine company. Major banks underwrote that deal as well. 
They are also producer of the mRNA vaccine. The M equals messenger. RNA is the ribonucleic acid that is present in all living cells that carries genetic messages to the DNA. It carries messages to your genes. That's what makes you, you. It is communicating to your genetic codes, to your DNA, to your scroll, to your scripted members. Your DNA is a record. It is a book. Psalms 139, 16. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Believe it or not, this is also a fulfillment of the prophecy about the last days, being like the last days of Noah. Matthew 24, 37 through 39. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now this is also repeated in Luke seventeen twenty six and 27. But it also goes a step further in the very next verses after that. And those are the ones I'm going to read. Luke 17, 28 through 30. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they brought, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Usually when this is discussed, all that is brought up is the marrying and giving in marriage and the eating and drinking. But the eating and drinking also represents negligent debauchery, lascivious living, and hedonism, which is the constant search for self-pleasure. The marrying and giving in marriage represents more than just people getting married and people getting divorced. It also represents people marrying other objects like their dogs cars, pets, trees, bridges, sex dolls, anything else that you can name. Zoophilia is the attraction to animals, but bestiality is the physical act. Not to mention when you get into the switching of roles. The men are more feminine and the women are more masculine. I didn't mean to go that far, but we're going to touch on that later, but it's just scratching the surface. The other things that were going going on were fallen angels having sex with the daughters of man in correlation with Genesis 6. The book of Enoch calls them watchers. These are the ones who left their original state and will not be forgiven. The ones reserved in chains. They produced giants called Nephilim. The Bible says that they were in those days and after that as well. In the Apocrypha, which is included in the 1611 King James Bible. So if you don't have that part, you don't have the complete Bible. But even with that, you still don't have the complete Bible, but you have enough. The Apocrypha was removed for a reason. It is the bridge between what people call the Old and the New Testament. It answers a lot of questions. I suggest that if you don't have one, that you go purchase one or you download one until you can get one. It also covers up lots of things in history that we need to understand so that we can decipher what's going on today. You have to understand the past to know how we got to the present so that you'll know what's going to happen in the future. 
There was also gene splicing and mixing up animals in ways that I'm not even going to discuss right now. So a pig's heart being put into, into a man is nothing new. It's just like the Bible tells you, there is nothing new under the sun. Pfizer rests at number 64 on the Fortune 500 list with its headquarters in Manhattan. Some of their most popular medications are Lipitor for cholesterol, Lyrica, Diflucan, Viagra, and Celebrex. Which brings us to J. Marion Sims. Pfizer has a statue of this man in front of their building. Who is he, do you ask? Well, he is the man that is given credit of being the father of modern gynecology. He was known as the surgeon who treated slaves and the empress. Around 1845, J. Marion Sims was conducting experiments on slave women. He would perform procedures on them without anesthesia. Anakar was a 17-year-old slave that was the unlucky subject of at least 30 surgeries. It was a common belief at that time and still a common belief in the medical industry that black women are able to tolerate pain better than women of other races. He operated on their genitalia by having other men hold their naked bodies down while he cut them. His claim to fame was perfecting the procedure to correct fistulas after birth. A fistula is an opening between the vagina and bladder or the vagina and rectum due to hard traumatic childbirth. The fistula caused slaves to not be able to work or bear their children. They were in constant pain. They were infected and they were carrying an odor, which definitely had to affect your self-esteem. And this was caused by producing children at a young age. On the average, they were producing children three years before white women. Now, going back to this fistula, this actually fulfills a prophecy as well. Isaiah 3 and 24. And it shall come to pass, instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink. And instead of a girl girdled, excuse me, that's girdle, it will be rent. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. Instead of a stomacher, a girding of sackcloth. And burning instead of beauty. Now, as a former hairstylist, I can tell you that this is a serious issue among black women. Isaiah 3 and 17. Therefore the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will discover their secret parts. Now if you can't see how blasted edges and thinning in the top and in the back and the sides and all that doesn't correlate with what I said, then I don't know what to tell you. Some can grow hair and it'll get to a certain amount and then it'll start breaking off. Then you have some, some women who just suffer with what the medical community calls alopecia which is the loss of hair through stress or some sort of traumatic experience. I myself have experienced alopecia twice in my life. It made a spot in about the size of a thumbprint in my scalp, and it was completely clean. Now, it eventually grew back, but the way that it looks before it grow back, it almost looks like some skin that has been burnt. It's so shiny and smooth, you, you don't see any hair follicles or anything in it. Um, And it also looks like, skin where a scab has been pulled off too quickly. You know how it's shiny. Well, I'm going to come back to this during our second cycle because that's when we're going to get into the curses that were placed upon a certain group of people for disobeying the Most High. Now, understanding those scriptures is the key to understanding who his people are. Once you understand who his people are, you will know what you have to do to get back to him. There are certain instructions for that group. Mm -hmm.
You won't get back to him any other way. The second cycle is going to be a lot more offensive. This cycle was just for laying the foundation down to help you understand that there's a picture that we're trying to paint here. That we're going somewhere with this. It's not going to be about hate. It's going to be about truth. And it's going to be about the truth and love. Now we know that the truth is offensive. The truth eventually reveals itself over time, no matter how big or elaborate the lies are. Not just to show you how there were six degrees of separation and how a lot of these people are connected. There is, is another J. Marion Sims statue at another location. At this lo other location, there's another statue with him there as well. The Sims statue that's located in Alabama has his son-in-law statue right next to him. He married his daughter, whom Sims named after Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale was supposedly the mother of modern nursing, but I have to respectfully disagree because any of the house slaves that practiced modern nursing before she was even on the scene because big mama, no doubt gave 24 seven care to the sick and healthy, which is what Florence Nightingale, excuse me, is credited with. He also has two sons, Marion Sims Wyeth, who became a famous architect who's designed countless Florida mansions, John Wyatt Jr., who was a poet. He was also taught how to play the banjo by his West African slave. The banjo, by the way, is an instrument that came from West Africa. And that's not something that you think of because whenever you think about the banjo, you think about country music, but we started that too. Um, but getting back to the banjo, it was brought over from West Africa. So there will be no banjo without that. And as you can see, we had to teach our slave masters how to play our instruments. And before you knew it, they were performing shows, plays, and musical performances. And we were once again left behind. Al Joseph, who was famous for blackface, played a banjo. Blackface and the clown are closely related. More on that later. Country music is one of the world's top grossing genres. Another industry that we we're on the bottom. I remember as a child, my father telling me who Charlie Pride was. Now, looking back, whenever he was on TV, he would stop on the station for a second and sing a bar or two. And then we just, you know, crack up and we would watch Hee Haw, Green Acres and Lawrence Welk. My father exposed me to words, sports, food, all kinds of subjects. One of the most wonderful things he did in the last year of his life was make sure that I knew my social security number. Yeah, I know that's strange, but he made me remember the books of the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books. I didn't know why then, but now, you know, it's starting to come to me. I didn't even ask any questions to why not the rest of the books, but the biggest clue was that he started calling me Jake. Now, when he went to sleep, which means when he passed away, I started reading his Bible. There were all kinds of notes and highlighted scriptures. I have come to the realization that my father wanted me to figure something out. To tell me I'll write would have caused an uproar. He knew about my tenacity to read and, and search things out, and he encouraged it. He was always showing me big words to sound, sound out. Now, what you are hearing today, this podcast, is actually a culmination of my mother, my father, my grandmother, my Aunt B, my Aunt D, and a humongous black history Bible that I used to look at pictures in at my Aunt C and Uncle W's house. And others are included as well, but these are just the ones that are just 
right in the uh, forefront of my brain right now. And if you are around children, encourage them to learn to study the Bible. They might see something that you don't because you haven't because they haven't been indoctrinated yet. All right. Johnson and Johnson. They ended up being number 37 on the uh, 500 fortune list. The headquarters is in Brunswick, New Jersey, and they brought in $70.1 billion in 2017. Some of their most famous products are Band-Aid, Tylenol, Neutrogena, Clean and Clear, and AccuView. Janssen is their pharmaceutical division. Robert Wood Johnson worked from the age of 16 at his cousin James G. Wood's apothecary. An apothecary was a person who prepared and sold medicines and drugs. Now, in the Bible, an apothecary was a person who mixed perfumes, a perfumer. Exodus 30 and 25. And thou shalt make it of a holy augment, and an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary. It shall be an holy anointing oil. The Most High was serious about these oils. We're still supposed to be using them. Have you ever heard of that? Me, the not going to church, I haven't heard of it. We don't do half of what we're supposed to do. And the Most High, he's been so merciful, and we need to realize that. Exodus 30, 31 through 33. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. That means forever. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured. Neither shall you make any other like it after the composition of it. It is holy and it shall be holy unto you. Whosoever compounded any like it or whosoever put any of it on a stranger shall even be cut off from his people. Now we know from our earlier scripture being cut off, that ain't what you want. Tell me when you heard this in church. The more you get into the Bible and begin to understand, you see that we're being led to worship another quote-unquote Jesus. Johnson partnered with George Seabury in 1873. They parted ways in 1886 after he heard Joseph Lister discussing his antiseptic methods. Lister was a pioneer in sterilization techniques. He had piggybacked off Louis Pastor, a well-to-do Quaker from England. In 1879, what we use today is mouthwash called Listerine was used as an antiseptic for medical procedures. Pasteur invented slash introduced pasteurization. When products are treated with mild heat to kill pathogens and extend shelf life, that's basically when it's been pasteurized. Pathogens are bacteria, viruses, and microorganisms that cause diseases. Vaccines are no uncharted territory for Johnson & Johnson. They are given credit for the smallpox vaccine by way of John Hunter, a doctor who was called the father of immunology. Got his idea from, guess what? A slave. The West African slave named Onesimus, which is a biblical name that means useful. So he named him that on purpose. Now, Onesimus told him of the method of inoculation that was used in West Africa. He even asked other slaves and they told him the same thing. It had even been used in Turkey and China, which means others were privy to the cure long before Europeans were. A person with smallpox rubbed pus into the open wound of someone who was healthy. The healthy body would start to form immunity to the disease. 
Did you know that at one point in time, West Africa was called Negro land? You would have to Google a 1700 map of Africa and then you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Now, why would a place smack dab in the middle of black inhabitants need to be called Negro land? That should tell you something right there. Now, once again, as you can see, we've been used and abused. Ideas taken, industries built on top of broken bodies once again. Leviticus 26, 38. And you shall perish among the heathen, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. Our downfall was their blessing. It allowed others to go on to world domination. As I said before, there was no global trade, no industrial revolution. There was no Wall Street until the transatlantic slave trade. Matthew 5 and 1. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. A lot of times when you hear that scripture, you just think uh, about it, you know, the way that we fit. Well, salt of the earth means if it wasn't for us, the earth wouldn't have no flavor. We wouldn't have no, no pizzazz, no, no swag, no nothing. But we don't even stop to think about what the qualities of salt are. Now, salt has representations. It represents things. Salt represents permanence, loyalty, durability, fidelity, usefulness, value, and purification. These are all attributes that the children of the Most High are supposed to bring about influence on the earth. The original influence, influencers, even before YouTube. But let's just discuss the meaning of some of these words. The term salt of the earth itself represents an individual or a group considered as representing the best or noblest elements of society. Permanence is a state of quality of lasting or remaining unchanged indefinitely. Faithfulness means you are bound by duty and trust. Durability, you are able to withstand wear, pressure, and damage. We definitely have proved that. Fidelity, you are careful and exact of your observance of your duty. Usefulness means you make yourself available to help and assist others. You make yourself a servant. Value represents worthiness. Purification is the act or the operation of separating and removing from anything that which is foreign to it. These are all the duties of salt, and these are all the duties that are expected of the Most High's children. I didn't even go into Henrietta Lack's story, nor did I go into the Tuskegee experiment. That's something that you can basically find on the web yourself. Um, but there are some other literature that's available that you can read about the things that have been done to uh, our people. Medical Apartheid by Harriet A. Washington gives a brutal overview of J. Marion Sims along with others. The Delectable Negro by Vincent Woodward, which talks about how we were consumed in every way possible. Yes, they cooked and they ate slaves. We were utterly destroyed from the womb until the grave. There were no grapes left. Obadiah 1 and 5. If these came to thee, if robbers by night, how art they cut off? Would they have not stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they leave not some grapes? Won't even leave nothing. You that much of a thief? 
By the way, the book of Obadiah is about judgment coming to a particular group of people. Church folks will say, oh, that's a spiritual. Well, the text begs to differ. It is speaking of old Edom in the last days and his coming judgment for atrocities and acts of war that they have performed against the children of Israel. But I digress. The price for their pound of flesh, the value of the enslaved from the womb to grave in the building of a nation. That is the book by Dana Ramey Berry. These are three books right off the top of my head that I have in my collection that tell about the grisliness of the things that were done to the slaves. These just three concerning the physical um, consuming. They consumed us physically. We're talking about eating. Those are just three books about eating. Ain't that crazy? I know it's crazy. It's nasty too. But they, but they told us we were the ones that were the cannibals. Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, he begs to differ as well. Okay. Now, I think the podcast that we have had so far gives us a solid foundation on capitalism. We pretty much, we didn't go over every single big company, but we went over enough of them to understand that there's a pattern there. That they do the same thing. Um, That the nature of capitalism is barbaric. It automatically puts the person who does the most work at the bottom with the least amount of pay and the least amount of respect. Now, if you cannot see who their victims are in this story, you just don't want to see. You have been programmed not to say or think what you need to see, say and think. We read the Bible and see emphasis made on being separate. But then when it's time to draw that line in the sand, line in the sand oh, he didn't mean that. Being separate is commanded by the Most High. But we don't know who and what to separate from. To everything, there is a time and a season. And we need to know when it's time to come together. And we need to know when it's time to refrain. And from whom? We have been conditioned by constructs that have made that have been created to take the truth away from you. This web of deception and lies is so sticky. The use of drugs is not new. Acts 8 and 9. But there was a certain man named Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Did you know that the worldwide drug use and abuse is a sign of the end? Sorcery in the Greek means pharmakia. Pharmakia means one, the use or administering of drugs. We know that in our community that music is used to make drug use desirable. It also entices our little ones. Now, how quick do we have do we have to be reminded that the most high doesn't he he ain't he's not with that. He's not with you enticing his people. Ask Balaam. Number two, poisoning. Isn't Putin under fire for that right now? He killed a spy a few years ago by poison. Now, sorcery number three is magical arts and idolatry is fostered by that. A number four is a metaphor for deceptions and seductions of idolatry. First Timothy four and one. Now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the last latter time, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils expressly. That means let me make this plain as the nose on your face. Latter times is the time of the end. 
to depart the faith, we're talking apostasy here. Apostasy is someone who knew the most high at one time and decided to go the other way. So we're talking about so-called saved people here. We're not talking about unsaved folks or heathens, as y'all want to call them. We have to learn what these words really mean and use them in their proper context. The seducing spirits, those are lying spirits that cause you to believe in errors and false doctrines. And these false doctrines and errors, they, they come from demons and fallen angels. We're going to get into that later as well. The doctrines of devils, those are the teachings of the deceiver. It was prevalent, th it was prevalent then. And it usually involved a lot of money. It involved a lot of money then, and it still involved a lot of money. Acts 19, 19. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Just a side note on seducing spirits. That is what is in operation when you have side effects of depression and suicide from medication. That is sorcery. Using a physical element causing spiritual disturbances to bring about the desired effect. Remember, all this comes from using conjured fabricated formulas that come to direct from a proverbial witch's cauldron. The green herbs gave no side effects, compounded illnesses or maladies, or they didn't, and they never gave us a whole brand new condition like these uh, medications will do today. So now with the new illness, more drugs. That's a mad cycle. You need a pill to get up, pill to lay down, pill to digest your food, Pill for high pressure, low pressure, no pressure at all. You got a pill to sleep. You got a pill to wake up. Some church members have medicine cabinets full of dope. They get prescription after prescription. And some have mental dependency just to go to the doctor. It's, it's, they get a high just from going to see the doctor. This sounds crazy, but these are all, um, these are all, as they say, um, mental conditions. Um, like I said, they go to the doctor and they are tethered to their pills. They won't leave the house without them. But all the while, they're shaking their head at an alcoholic. It can get to the point of forgetting about eating better, getting a little exercise, stop ignoring fresh fruits and veggies. We cannot continue drinking and eating what we want whenever we want. Now, I'm not speaking, you know, when I'm saying these things, I'm not talking about people who have legitimate conditions. But some of our conditions can be eradicated. Uh, we take these poisonous chemicals and we eat junk and the processed foods. That's, that's a recipe for disaster. We can't keep abusing ourselves. We have to do things in moderation. Now, we already know certain foods are sent directly to the grocers in our area. That's why they ask you for your zip code at the register. They, who know, they know who eats what and where. So they know to ship them hot Cheetos straight to the hood so your kids can eat them and mess up their digestive system and have, uh, uh, what's that the thing called? Uh, you have a, a hernia before you get out of, graduate from high school from eating all that hot stuff every day. It, it all, those kids become addicted to that. We have to use discipline. First Corinthians 9.25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. 
Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. We have LeBron James who practices and he trains faithfully. Whether or not you like him is a moot point, but you do have to admit that the boy has, that man has a incredible work ethic. That was the same thing with Kobe. They did slash do all they did slash do to get that NBA championship ring to be known as one of the best who ever did it. That temporary ring represents the crown of victory. When the next season rolls around, it's about who will get it now. So all of that other stuff doesn't matter. So that shows you that even in the culture of sports, the culture of music, like they say, you only as good as your last hit. Once you, once you've attained it, it's technically over again, because now you have to start from the beginning and start all over again to attain it again. It's like I said, it's a mad cycle. Now we also have enemies. We have enemies that want us off the face of the earth. It has always been like that with the children of Israel. There was always some entity or kingdom trying to wipe them off the map. Nothing has changed. None of that has changed. Now the names have changed. The countries have changed. The colors have changed. Or let me say that more correctly, colors have been implemented. But I am not teaching or advocating violence. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is awareness and knowing. What the Bible teaches and what society tells you are two different things. If the scripture told us that it would be if the scripture told us that it would be enmity between his seed and the woman's seed, then we need to know who these seeds are. With that, this is going to wrap up the first cycle of Bible Days E23. In our next cycle, we're going to tackle and find out where his children are. Who are his children? Because if we don't find out who they are, we're not going to understand what's happened in the last days because everything revolves around this group of people. That's why you don't hear too many people talking about the last days. You can't understand the last days without knowing who is who. Will there be a rapture or no? What about the thousand year reign? What about the new heaven and earth? Why are the names of the 12 tribes on the pearly gates of the kingdom of heaven? Wait a minute. Aren't the Jews in Israel fulfilling prophecy? Hold up. Israel is a person, not a place. Why do blacks suffer so much? Why are we so hated? Where do we come from? What's with all this crazy weather? Are we experiencing the plagues? Why all the fighting in government? What's going to happen to the United States? Why are they trying to go to Mars? What is NASA really about? I know those are a lot of questions, but all those questions, we're going to have some answers to, to them. And we're going to have even more questions and answers. And all those things are tied up in who the people are. And with that, join me on the next cycle with your Bible and notebook in hand when we search for the lost tribes of Israel. Love y'all. Bye-bye.